Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to The Frontline with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 on your AM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content. And please be sure to follow Joe and I on uh, social media, primarily right now on Facebook and YouTube until they take us down, of course. Um, but we're also on Rumble and Gab. We're across social media. So wherever you find us, please help us out. Like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. And today we are very pleased and honored to be joined by a name that you're all probably familiar with, uh, Dr. Ray Gorendi. And we're going to be discussing Dr. Ray's recent book, Jesus, the Master Psychologist. Listen to him published by Sophia Institute Press. Now, like I said, probably everybody out there knows Dr. Ray, but just in case you don't, uh, quick introduction. Uh, Dr. Dr. Ray Gorendi is a clinical psychologist, author, professional speaker, and national radio and television host. His radio show, The Doctor Is In, can be heard on over 440 stations and Sirius XM Channel 130. His TV show, Living Right with Dr. Ray, can be seen on EWTN Global Catholic Network and is aired in 140 countries. Dr. Ray Gorendi, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe. Hello, Joe. Hello, Joe. Love All it. Right. Love it. A lot of vowels here today, guys. A lot of vowels. Yeah, it's so good. watch out. <laughs> so, Joe, I'll kick it over to you. It's our custom, Dr. Ray, to begin with a prayer, because all good things start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, Virgin never Mary, was it yeah. known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession, intercession. was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly into you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, before you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O mother of the word, incarnate, despise on our petitions. But in your clemency, hear and answer us. Amen. St. Dominic. Pray for us. Okay, let's jump right into it, Doc. Why is Jesus the master psychologist? If he were a good guy, which the I hope I am. <laughs> well, not you, Joe. We are, we're we're, still, we're taking votes on that. But <laughs> Jesus was just a good guy, which is what the intelligentsia now believe. He's kind of like a kind of like a fat Gandhi, you know, skinny Buddha, a Mister Rogers type. If that's what he were, then that book's useless. The only reason that you should listen to Jesus is if he were who he said he was. There's no way he could be a good guy. There's no way. He said too many things that were either delusional or lies. So once you decide he is who he said he was, and there's plenty of evidence, then you have to listen to him. If he is God, it follows automatically that what he says is absolutely true and workable, not only for now, but for eternity. Now, if you, if you decide he's not, well then ignore him. Go pick your guru. But if he is God, then no matter what psychology says, no matter what I say, no matter what you guys say, he must be listened to. You know, it's funny. I think what you say is, I agree with it 100%, but I think the essence of why people don't think he's God is Christ requires you to change. Like all of the evidence <laughs> is there. It's linear. The thought is linear, that there is a God. But God requires you to change, and people just are not willing to do it. If you get into a discussion, you want to call it a discussion, and unfortunately it deteriorates real quick, but if you get into a discussion with somebody who says, I'm either an agnostic, I'm an atheist, I'm not a Christian, I don't buy this stuff, or I am a Christian, but I've defined Christianity. You get into a discussion with somebody like that, and it quickly comes down to, I don't want to. I don't want to surrender what I think is the direction of my life the way I want to conduct myself. And much of the time, believe it or not, the people who 
refuse to look at Jesus in any way to consider who he was, or, or who don't like the Catholic Church even though they call themselves Catholics. I say 80-90% of the time it's below the waist. Almost I agree. When's the last time you guys heard somebody say, you know what I you know what I hate about that Catholic Church? They tell you you're supposed to help the poor. Oh, that just ticks me off. You know, they tell you you're not supposed to steal. Do you believe that? That is such garbage. No, 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 no. It's all below the waist. Right. At this point, they don't they don't want to accept this. But here's the irony of the whole thing. Psychology is coming around, however begrudgingly. To look at what Jesus said, and they're finding out on their own, independent path, huh, that seems to work. Surprise. Fun. Yeah, right. Surprise, surprise. Funny enough. And, 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 and one thing that you said that I just want to comment on, Dr. Ray Gorendi is joining the front line with Joe and Joe, is that that lukewarm attitude, I much prefer somebody who says, no, I, I actually do know, I, I understand what the church teaches about Jesus. I reject him. I respect that more than the person who, let's say, says, well, he was a great moral teacher. As you said, Dr. Gurendi, look, he's either, I think it was original, uh, uh, didn't didn't C.S. Lewis say, um, he's either a, a liar or a lunatic. Yeah. So, you, so at least choose sides. There's but that a, middle road is, is, is nauseating. It really is. Joe, there is what I call the new atheism. The old atheism said, there is no God, or I doubt that he exists, so therefore I can do what I want. Now, there, there's a certain logic to that if, you, if your premise is correct. The new atheists are everywhere. They are in our politics. They are in our pews. They are everywhere. The new atheist says, there is a God, but he thinks just like me. That's the new atheism, and it's much harder to move. You know, you, you say that, like, it works. Christ's way works. I agree with you. My way doesn't. I've learned that. Um, I've always said this, Doc. <clears throat> Catholicism is painting by numbers. You don't have to be a brain surgeon. Like, there are very simple people. I go to church with them, frankly. They're simple. They're good Catholics. They don't read encyclicals. They just listen to what the church tells them to do. And they live good lives. Functional, happy lives. Psychology has done all kinds of studies. There was a Pew survey done. This is, he does it every year. And it's good news, bad news. The bad news is, he says, that people who are self-identified Christians don't live morally much different than the culture. They don't behave much different. They don't believe much differently. He said there's about 10% though. Now, I don't think this is Pew's Gallup. He called them living saints. Now that's his definition, but he said of that 10%, they frequent church, they give charitably a lot, they pray often, they have better marriages, more contentment in their life, less pathology, less neuroticism, overall they're just more content, happier people. It's that 10% that he identified as those who closely follow the Savior. But you know what it is? It doesn't look good. like. I could just speak for myself. My house is a, a lunatic asylum. I have four children under I can seven. Help. I can help, Joe. <laughs> I, I have four children under seven. My wife's pregnant. My mother lives with us. It's insane. It doesn't look good. Like from the outside, no one's coming here and putting us on the cover of People magazine. But what you said is right. There is a peace and there is a functionality with following Catholicism. Like, and the world can't give it to you. And it's that witness that, to be honest with you, that will change people. I know you have 10 children. I can guarantee you when people see you and your wife, they're just like, wow. I'm like that. I didn't even, I never seen your family. Well, Joe, I got to qualify that. Um, my 10 kids are adopted. So I have three white, two Hispanic, two biracial, three black. So when people saw our family, uh, they usually said things like, is this some kind of club or something? <laughs> or or, or they, they'd look at me like, you know, I wonder if that guy knows what's going on. I mean, he seems like a major doofus not to realize what she's doing. And I always tell him, I suspect her, but I can't catch her. <laughs> <laughs> so you're listening to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Racinello. We're very pleased to be joined by Dr. Ray 
Verendi, and we're talking about his recent book, Jesus, the Master Psychologist. Listen to him. Doc, what are the fundamentals of Christian psychology? Because a lot of times there's a misconception. I, I say in my past, I, 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 um, I will admit to this also. I always thought that, you know, uh, mistakenly, that uh, the Bible says it really, there's no such thing as you know, let's say uh, mental illness and things like that. It's all demonology. It's like if somebody has a disorder, it's just because their 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 demon possesses that. No, their church has a very clear teaching on on psychology, the study of the mind. What are the fundamentals of Christian psychology? Psychology is a very broad, broad word, very broad. If I were to try to grab hold of Christian psychology, I would probably have to say, the church, in her wisdom respects knowledge. The church doesn't say, the church is not fundamentalist. The church doesn't say, well, if it's not in the Bible, it's not gonna happen. If it's not in the Bible, we don't have to believe it. If it's not in the Bible, we don't have to follow it. No, the church doesn't say that. The church says there's many paths to knowledge. As long as that knowledge is coherent within the Christian worldview. So people will come to me two different ways. Now, most of, most of the psychology that I practice, men, was secular. I was educated at a secular university. I was in secular media. Uh, most of the speaking engagements were all secular groups, 80, 90% secular groups. What I spoke had a lot of, I hope, helpful truth to it. But it wasn't, wasn't religious language. There's another group of people who come to me who say this, and I think this is what you're touching on with Christian psychology. I want a therapist who will respect my deepest held beliefs. I want a therapist who will not think I'm neurotic because I believe what I believe. I want a therapist who isn't going to say, oh, you're unhappy with your husband? Get rid of him. Get rid of him. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. You'll work it out. Your kids will be okay if I, as the client, don't want to do that. So Christian psychology essentially uses the best of both. It uses good psychological principles and it respects the Christian worldview, and it blends the two of them. Let me ask you this. Yeah, that's one of the biggest things. I'm sorry, Joe, but that's no, one okay. of the biggest things. And, and I've, I, didn't, I never knew that until I just heard you say it, but I've always assumed that's the problem with modern psychology. They're just going to tell you their solution is always just get rid of it. I don't care what it is. A marriage, get rid of it. You're pregnant, get rid of it. No, it's everything is get rid of it. Just, But that means that's not Christian. You see, like you're, you're talking about, Dr. Gorendi, two people, a husband and wife, go to a psychologist. The last thing they need to hear is, well, if, if you're unhappy, just get a divorce. Well, it's not exactly helpful. And you're not exactly being even a good psychologist in a secular sense, okay? But that always seemed to me to be the, the default position is like, let me just find some, 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 some feel-good, worldly way to help these people get through this and they'll pay me a bunch of money and then they'll just move on. I mean, and, 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 and I don't need to know the field to know that that's pretty much what goes on out there. Deeper than that, Joe, if you take it down another level, when you say get rid of it, which means get rid of toxic people in your life, that's what the big catchphrase is, or get rid of that baby, or if your relative bothers you, shun them, get them out of their life, get them out of your life. At the deepest level, it is a focus on the self. The self is the new God. The self is what you pursue. Jesus and scripture and the church say, you know, if you pursue the self, you're going to end up quite sad. And what's interesting about this is psychology confirms this. 40, 50 years ago, the self-esteem movement started. And one of the founders of the self-esteem movement has since come out and said, well, I think I was a little misguided. I think I, 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 think I, I had nice theory, but the research is not supporting it. In fact, Self-esteem is not related to much of anything. And Jesus says, he who humbles himself will be exalted. He who exalts himself will be humbled. Or, this is the big one, and this would get Jesus kicked out of uh, Psych 101. He said, when you do what you're supposed to do, just say, I'm an unworthy servant. What? No accolades? No thumbs up? No followers? What's he talking about? Jesus recognized that in pursuit of the self, at the end of it, at the very least, you will not fulfill yourself, and at the very worst, you'll be miserable. He knew it. 
you know, you touched on the path to heaven. It's not everyone is going to have a red martyrdom, but we're all called to a white martyrdom to die to self. That's the path to heaven. Whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're a priest, it is the path to heaven and the world rejects it. We are, and it's hard to die to yourself. I'll speak just from my perspective as a father. I, when I have to get up in the middle of the night, I nudge my wife. Could you get up? <laughs> you know, or I mean, we and and I pray. You know what I mean? Like I'm far from perfect. We push against it. It's natural. But in order to follow Christ, we must die to ourselves, and that's the journey to God. Doctor you know, Ray Grandi. No, yes, Joe. I want to. Uh, I want to go ahead. Go ahead. I want you to comment on that, please. Yeah, Joe. Your problem is you've only got four kids. <laughs> By the time my wife and I got to the ninth kid, when he was about two, three months old, I said to my wife, middle of the night, honey, I hear the baby. She said, yeah, I do too. Turn the radio up. <laughs> it's, it, no, but it's, it's the truth. It's, it's very hard. Very Dr. Gurendi, uh, Dr. Ray Gurendi is joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe, and we're discussing Jesus, the master psychologist. Listen to him. That's Dr. Gurendi's recent book that you could buy at Sophia Institute Press. Uh, Doc, I just off, out of curiosity, based, um, just uh, hearkening back to what we were recently talking about, is narcissism, is that a, a, a psychological disorder? Do they teach that anymore? Because it seems like in our culture, narcissism that self-centeredness is to be encouraged so and i'm it's a legit question i'm not i'm not being a jerk um is narcissism a, a disorder that self-centered worldview gotta understand what personality diagnoses mean narcissistic personality diagnosis it, nice narcissistic personality disorder is an actual diagnosis okay it's in the manual that most professionals use however it doesn't explain anything. All it really says is it's a summary label for a certain amount of characteristics that someone, usually a professional, judges as too extreme, too pervasive, too affecting of the personality and social relationships. How a person becomes a quote unquote narcissist, it doesn't say. Um, exactly how the person is going to end up, it doesn't say. All it says is, well, if these characteristics are in a clump, then we can call it this. But you touched on something, Joe. The popular mindset, the laity, if you will, in psychology, they take these terms and then they apply them to people. For example, my husband, I can't live with him. He's a narcissist, a wife will say. Well, now, wait a minute. Narcissism is a serious personality disorder. Are you saying he's just self-centered? Are you saying he lacks empathy? Are you saying his way is the only way? Because that... Is, that doesn't mean narcissism. That just means a difficult person who's unpleasant to live with and who is self-absorbed. Okay, that's what that means. Unfortunately, I get so many questions from people. Uh, I think I found out the problem with my adult son. He's a narcissist. No, you didn't find out the problem. You put a label on the problem. You're going to have to deal with what's coming or what is in between the both of you. But, but you didn't solve the problem. So, so that's the explanation here, Joe. Yes, if you want to say psychology fuels the self, it does. That can go to extremes. I, I am my world. My happiness is paramount over everybody else's and that is the only way I'll be happy to pursue me and my own ends and my own satisfaction and the heck with you, Joe, and the heck with you, Joe, because if we collide, I got to look out for me. Now that's what mm -hmm. a lot of psychology says. Jesus says, not only will that put you on your head, it'll make you miserable. Let me ask you this. A lot of secular, secular humanists will say this. They'll say confession from a Catholic perspective is no different than going to a psychologist. We know that as Catholics, that is not true. What is your response to that? Because I think a lot of people who may be listening to us could actually think that if they're not a practicing Catholic. Oh, I could just go to a psychiatrist. You go to confession. Well, this is my avenue to work out my issues. There are several answers to that, Joe. When I was in the evangelical world, I left the church for eight years. I left confession for eight years. I got real sloppy 
at looking at myself. Why would I have to? I'm already saved. All my sins are forgiven. Yeah, there's certain things I shouldn't be doing. There's certain things I should be working on. But in terms of actually scrutinizing myself and saying, what is it about Ray Garendi that really needs to be changed? I didn't do that. Why? I didn't have to prepare for confession. I didn't have to go to confession and think, I really need to shine a bright light on my soul. I didn't have to do that. Why? I'm already taken care of. Same thing happens when you go to a shrink. You go to a shrink, you tell them what you want to tell them. You tell them what you think needs quote unquote absolved. But confession says, no, 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 no. You don't tell us what you think is absolved. You tell us what God, Jesus, and the church thinks needs to be absolved. That's a much deeper look. Secondly, that therapist can't put his hands on my shoulders and say, you are forgiven. I agree. By the right authority there. given me in God, you are forgiven. That therapist can just say, well, Ray, you're a good guy. I think you're doing okay, Ray. Yeah, Ray, let's work on it. But, but in fact, you know, all these people do this kind of stuff and don't worry about it. That therapist will not say, Ray, reconcile with your wife. Where the priest might say, you need to look at this and consider reconciling with your wife for the sake of your children and morality. So there's wide gaps of difference. But the biggest one is, well, besides absolution is the biggest one. But I'll, if I'm talking right now to people who are non-Christians or non-Catholics, I'm going to say the biggest one is, without confession, the vast majority of people will not take a good look at themselves. And if you doubt that listening to me, dear people, you think about the people in your life when you say to yourself, can't he see the way he is? Why does he not look at himself? He's got such a double standard. He is the most difficult person I know, but yet he thinks I'm difficult. Why doesn't he see himself? There's your answer. You know, it's the healthiest thing in the world to go to confession. And also you grow in virtue. I don't even think enough Catholics do it. You know, that's something I think we could improve on as a church, uh, going to regular confession. I try to go twice a month because I am a sinner. Ask my wife. You know, like we have to go to confession. So important. Well, my wife was a convert to the uh, Catholic faith when she was 39, and she struggled with confession because she couldn't get it through her head that when you go to confession, you got to confess your own sins, not your husband's. <laughs> no, bless, bless me, Father Ray has sinned you know, kind of thing. I said, honey, you got to tell them your own, not mine. She goes, but you have so much more. I go, I know that. <laughs> let me, let me handle it. I'll tell him. You know, our Lord said, take the log out of your own eye. That's one of the things in the book. Most people think that means, well, you, you, you gotta, you gotta get your own house in order and then you can correct somebody else. I think it goes way beyond that. I think our Lord meant something way beyond that. Without insight and the log blocks insight, you will not get closer to Christ. You won't. And in therapy, you won't improve. Because if you can't accept some things about yourself, if you can't look at them and say, uh-oh, that is me. I do do that, don't I? I never thought about that. You won't go anywhere forward. It's that straightforward. Mm -hmm. Along the lines, Dr. Ray Gorendi is joining us in the front line with Joe and Joe about, I mean, obviously this, this requires... This requires one to be introspective. You have to and and to be honest with oneself. So it reminds me of the of the old phrase, "Know thyself." What does that mean? What does it mean to truly to know yourself? Because what you're talking about seems to me it requires that you have to be you have to know yourself and you have to be honest with yourself. Okay, what does that mean exactly? Know thyself, doctor. This is my confession, men. If I were the judge of knowing myself, I'd be in big trouble because I am subjectively interested in my good. So therefore, why would I really work to know myself if it's going to be painful? I don't want that. If you're going to know yourself, you use Jesus and his church as the measuring stick. They're the ones who say, all right, here is the best way to live here is the best way to form your soul. If only Ray Garendi was looking at Ray Garendi, I am limited by my blindness. I have to look at what Jesus and his church say 
about what I need to look at. And there's things they tell me I need to look at. And my first reaction is reflexive. No, 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 I'm not like that. No, I, I, I don't do that. No, 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 I don't No, I'm not arrogant. Uh, you, you mean I could be difficult too with my mother-in-law? No, no, she's a difficult one. You don't understand. She's a difficult one. I don't even need to look at that relationship. And the church is saying, yes, you do. You have to look at your role in that relationship. Yeah, but she's, she's 92% wrong. Who, whose judgment is that, Ray? Well, it's mine, of course. Why wouldn't it be? Even at that, look at your 8%, Ray. That's the difference. If Ray Garendi judges Ray Garendi and how Ray Garendi should be living, I'm going to give myself an A, maybe an A minus, A minus probably at worst, you know, but if I look at the way the church says I should live in the words of Jesus, uh, maybe a C at best, at best. I love how you say Jesus and his church because you can't separate the two. That is the way to look at it. I just wanted to highlight that it is Jesus and the church. He is the head, the church is the body. And in order to go along with that thinking, there must be a meekness to a soul, a humility. Talk about meekness because the world is not about meekness. It's about asserting our strength. No one goes to a boardroom. I work at a bank and is meek. They assert themselves. I've heard the phrase from my boss's boss, throw punches and ask questions later. That's, They're all savages in the banking industry. That's, that's why. clearly not the way of Christ. <laughs> Christ didn't throw punches and ask questions later. Talk about meekness. Go to the thesaurus and the words for meekness are not good. <laughs> uh, doormat, uh, humility, uh, they, they, they are all toned a certain way. Absolutely the opposite of what Jesus meant. To be meek, you got to be strong. If, if you guys say to me, you know, Ray, we're, we're going we're gonna to cut this interview short at the half an hour mark. No offense, buddy, but uh, you're a dud. Okay? You're a dud. Now, there's two things I got to worry about. One, is that true? That's the first thing I got to concern. If I say to myself, I, I don't think that's true. I think that's just something that, that Joe doesn't agree with me and he just wants out of it. And, and, and that's okay. I, I won't take offense. I won't be bothered. I won't want retribution. See, that's meekness. That is meekness. I have enough strength to say, well, okay, that's how they're viewing it. That's their decision. May not agree with it, but at the same time, I'm not going to sit here thinking, how dare they? That, you know what? email. That's it. I'm giving them an email. They're going to find out what I think about this. So that's the first thing. The second thing is this. Let's say I take you two guys with me to an ant hill. We look down on these ants and I say, Hey Joe, you see that ant over there? That is the smartest ant on the hill. That ant is three times as smart as any other ant. And that one over there, uh, he's got the highest status on the hill. Everybody thinks he is the top ant, no questions. Would you gentlemen be impressed with those ants? No. No, why? Because they're ants, right? So, so what if he's three times as smart? He's an ant. Compared to us, we're, we're miles above that ant in strength and in intellect and in status. The difference between us and the ants is infinitesimal compared to the difference between us and God. So God isn't going to say, you know, Ray Grundy, uh, you, had, uh, you had a radio show, didn't you? Yeah, I thought you had a, you had a television show, didn't you? Uh, So-and-so, greatest sports hero the world has ever known. Hey, why don't you guys just come on in? I've just been wanting to meet you for so long. I'm so impressed. Oh, you're, you're president of the United States? Oh, come on in. God isn't impressed with that at all. It's meaningless to him. It's as meaningless as when we say that ant is three times as smart as the other ant. So if you I, seek, if you seek the things the world tells you in God's eyes, it, it, it's nothing. It's nothing. I, I agree with you 100%. I mean, we as humans are so impressed with ourselves. Um, you know, I was fortunate to grow up in a humble background. My father was a barber. Uh, and it gives you perspective in life. Let's say, 
<clears throat> Joe, I'm sorry. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello, and we are way in the breach with Dr. Ray Burendi. We're talking about his recent book, Jesus, the Master Psychologist. Listen to him, which is available at Sophia Institute Press. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app so that you get access to all of our station's content. And don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hey, you know about our Veritas shows, right? All five? It starts every Sunday at 5 p.m. with The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Their guests include the biggest names in the Catholic world, and Joe and Joe talk to them from the perspective of the everyday Catholic. Every Wednesday at noon, you can catch Let Me Be Frank. This is your chance to hear Bishop Frank Caggiano talk about spirituality, church news, and fun stories from his Brooklyn childhood and his life. Thursday nights at 8 o'clock. That's when you can hear It's Not That Late with Liv Harrison. It's a late night show on Catholic Radio, and Liv mixes faith with humor, games, and dynamic interviews. There's a double dose of shows on Friday. First, at noon, it's Restless. It's four millennials talking about, well, life as millennials in today's crazy world. Yes, it's possible to be young and Catholic. Then, at 1230 on Welcome Friday, back, everyone, to the front line the with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Racinello, way in the breach with Dr. Ray. Dr. Ray Rendy. We're talking about Those his recent book, Jesus, the Master Psychologist. Listen to Stay him. To available at Sophia Institute Press. And we are very uh, grateful for you joining us here at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 AM, on your dial serving the New York metropolitan area. With that, I'm gonna hand it over to Joe Resinello. Dr. Ray, we just talked about meekness. You dedicated a whole chapter in your book to materialism. Clearly the world says the more toys you have, the happier you will be. I work with people that prescribe to that. I work in banking, people are very rich. I always think of a woman, she cleaned my office and she had a picture of the Holy Family on the edge of her garbage can. She was the happiest person on the floor. I'm not kidding. And I used to look at people on my floor, some of which probably made 50 times what this woman made. She was the happiest person on the floor. Talk about materialism, because I think it's something that plagues us as Americans. It makes us lose perspective and frankly we lose jesus when we pursue things of this earth obviously we need things to live but this is not our home our home is heaven talk about it jesus spoke against materialism more than anything else he spoke against greed and acquisitiveness more than anything else why would he do this is this only because we have to take care of others? That's part of it. But I think he also realized from a psychological standpoint, as you pointed out here, Joe, it's not gonna make you happy. Extrapolate what you just said to the world at large. Who are the richest, most high status people in our culture? Entertainment people, rock stars, perhaps politicians. How happy are they? What do their lives look like compared to the, the lady down the street who's a quiet, maybe widow lady? What do their lives look like? They've got it all. They're miserable. They're on the third marriage. They have relatives who committed suicide. They're on drugs, trying to squash the pain. Why, why is this? The world says they should be happier. That's what the world says. And Jesus said, that's not going to get you, that's not going to get you there. He also had a real dire warning. One of the chapters in the book I talk about, he said um, to the man who, my grain barns are filled now. I can eat, I can drink, be merry, I got it all. And Jesus said, you fool. This very night, your life will be required of you. If we're not looking ahead to where this is all going, then what we're chasing, and those people listening to me right now who are older, uh, that includes you two guys, not me. Those people listening to me right now who are older are looking back on their lives and going, how, how, how many wrong things did I chase that I thought was so important at the time? Let me offer this too, gentlemen. C.S. Lewis said, if there is nothing in this world that will ultimately satisfy us, it must mean we were made for another world. 
One of the things that breaks my heart more than anything else is how cheap Catholics are. You know, if you look at studies, we are probably the least charitable Christian tradition. About one and a half percent is what we give. I watched the collection plate go by when a Nigerian missionary priest comes in, someone from Ecuador, who tells the parish what's going on down there. Most recently, we had a Nigerian priest that told the most moving story I have ever heard from a priest. Powerful. He got a, he, he got a clapping. And then I called to check three weeks later to see exactly what he got. It was pathetic. It was tragic. And I think to myself, here in this congregation is a total income per year of millions of dollars per year income big parish he got several thousand dollars what's wrong with us i think we're going to be called to account well you're right that's the story of lazarus i mean i have in my own life i could remember going to haiti and then going to for my job being in miami on an audit and I'm spending $20 on a drink. And in Haiti, you see naked children. And this is not that far away. <clears throat> and you say, Christ loves everybody. What's my role in this? You see, this is something that American Catholics don't grasp because they don't prescribe to the compendium of the Catholic Church. We have to meet our needs. We have to educate our children. We have to provide for our families. But this is not our home. And if we're blessed, we are to share. And God calls us to this. And I'll tell you this, one of the hardest things my journey was to tithe. I didn't want to do it, to be completely honest with you, to go along the lines of what you were just saying, Dr. Ray. But when I have written checks, and I have been just cringed at it. But when you do, it puts money in perspective. You're not attached and you trust the Lord. You trust him. I don't know how I'm going to educate my kids. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I trust in God. That's the detachment that American Catholics refuse. They all calculate everything. I'm in charge. I can control this. Talk a little bit about that. If those mass goers, I'm not talking about the people who just say they're Catholic, don't step inside a church, mass goers, would give 5%, just 5%. There would be no tuition in Catholic schools. You could go to Catholic schools. We could pay our teachers better. There would be all seminarians funded. Missions, they'd have the money they need. That's just 5%, 5%. 10%, of course, is the Old Testament standard. Now, there are those evangelicals, fundamentalists, some Protestant traditions who say 10%, that's what the Lord says. My former priest had an interesting take on this. He said, if you make 50 grand a year and you give 10%, that's five grand. That's a bite. I'll take a bite out of, of your living. If you make a million a year and you give 10%, that's 100,000. That leaves 900,000 for yourself. Can you get by on 900,000? <laughs> Think so. Jesus Jesus actually said 50%. You got two coats? Give one. Give one. <clears throat> now we don't do that. I don't do that. Who does that? But I think the key is you always got to be thinking in that direction. You got to say, do I need all these books on this bookshelf? No, let me give them to the seminaries in other countries who don't have books. Do, do my kids need 27 stuffed animals? They don't. I don't like what that teaches them. Mm -hmm. Two stuffed animals, let's give the other 25 to Children's Hospital. Do I need to give $10, $15, $20 to church every Sunday? No, I can give 50. I can give 50. I can do that. It's, it's not going to radically change the way I live. But we got to be thinking in that direction because we don't. If, breaks my heart when I see that collection plate go by me filled with $1 bills and $5 bills. I asked my mother, Italian mother, you know, you guys are all Italian. Oh yeah. All day go all day. Okay. So 
I said to my mom, she, she did the collection plate. I said, hey, mom, how often do you see a $20 bill in there? And she looked at me like I said, does the church have electricity? She started laughing. She said, $20 bills? <laughs> not, not very often. I said, oh, I see. Yeah, I, I, I mean, agree with you. To, you're listening to The Frontline with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello with Dr. Ray Gorendi, and we're talking about his new book, Jesus, the Master Psychologist. Listen to him. Doc, let's talk, let's stay on materialism a little bit. Talk about the need for Catholics in particular. See, people think that, well, you guys, you're traditional Catholic. That means that you just, you're, you're all conservative Republicans, blah, 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 all that nonsense, okay? Talk about a little bit of the problem in America. You have leftist materialism, which is Marxist dialectical materialism, okay? You also have right-wing materialism. This, this bending the knee to the free market as though the free market, which is a good and useful thing, somehow replaces God or somehow the, the, the moral law doesn't apply to markets in the way that business owners should treat their workers and vice versa, by the way, which also is in the compendium of the Catholic Church. Talk about that danger for Catholics, particularly in America, not to fall into left-wing materialism, but also right-wing materialism. When my daughter was 13, she stole $30 off of my dresser drawer. She wrote a letter to the library. Dear librarian, this should cover my fines, but if, it, if it's too much, please use that money to buy books for children who don't have books. Now that's leftist materialism. She took my money and she gave it away and said, aren't I generous? That's what leftist materialism is. I'm very, very generous with your money which is interesting because they've done studies. Religious people are much, much, much more generous than those that are secular leftists. It's, it's, it's dwarfs it. Okay, that's the first thing. The right side basically says, look, look, I, I, I can achieve, I can go for it, I can be successful, I can make money, and you need to let me do that. Okay, that's fine. But as a Christian, what are you going to do with that? You know, I go on an awful lot of... Christian pledge drives for the church, they're Catholic. And we beg, we beg for money, we grovel, okay? We grovel for money. Now, I'm wondering how many people listening would say to themselves, well, I, I, I can't go out and preach the word. No, you, you don't, you can't necessarily. But the radio can, and the radio can take what you support and do it. You know, I try to give I try to give more than 10%. I try to give more than that. I have to give more than that. But even what I give is not all that much. You know, say I pledge 30 bucks a month to my local radio station. 30 bucks. I go out to breakfast on a Sunday. I spend 30 bucks, 40 bucks. I mean, where, where am I thinking? See, guys, this takes a whole new shift in the way we think. Mm. People, you know what people do? They give you the all or nothing argument. Oh, okay, so we're supposed to go live in a pup tent, huh? So I'm supposed to give everything away and not have a car and have to walk to work. Nobody's saying that. We're saying, look at the direction you've chosen and question it. I agree with you 100%, and I'll tell you this. You preach that from the pulpit, half the church walks out the door. Sad, but Joe, true. That, Joe, that's that. And I'm glad you're saying that, Joe. Very quickly, um, I'm glad you're saying that because that's the dilemma that our priests and the church are in a lot of times. Because if you talk about the below the waist things that the church should be, should be talking about, half the church walks out. If you talk about what we're talking about, about this, you know, let's say call it, let's call it right wing materialism, okay, then the other half of the church walks out. And both, and, and it's a symptom of the same problem is that neither one wants to bend the knee to what we're actually doing. So, I, Joe, I'm sorry I interrupted, but I just wanted to clarify that. It's almost like as though these priests, these good priests, in many times, they're, they're almost caught in a no-win situation about what they can preach because they're going to lose they're, they're going to lose people left and right because it's always a matter of people don't want to hear the hard truths about these things, both on the right and the left. And I think that that's a problem. I'm sorry I cut you off, Joe Russell. No, it's okay. I, I think it comes down to, again, where is your kingdom? You know, my wife and I have taught pre-Cana and one of the first questions I ask is, what is the goal of your marriage? The goal of your marriage should be heaven. My job is to get my wife to heaven, and her job is to get me to heaven. I know what their goal is. 
We live in New Jersey, 10 miles outside of New York City, very materialistic place. Their, their goal is we're going to get rich. We're going to have a summer house down the Jersey Shore. We're going to live in Upper Bergen County. My kids are going to go to fancy prep schools, and they're going to make money too. Well, guess what? God, like you said, Doc, it doesn't matter. God doesn't care. Your goal should be heaven. And ultimately, everything you do should focus on that. And materialism, I got news for you, isn't the ticket in. Joe, you said you had four kids, one on the way, right? Yes, sir. About two children ago, you and your wife started getting cultural grief. Do you know how this is happening? When are you going to stop? You know, you're sucking up the rainforest. Don't you understand? <laughs> when, do you have a television? <laughs> I've are heard you that get one. Fixed? Okay, all of this, and this is an irony here. And notice a little a sidebar on our discussion. We live in a culture that says sexually you can do anything you want with anybody you want, however you want, as long as they agree. But your poor wife who has children within a committed marriage gets abused. She gets questioned. She has more than the 1.86 children you are now allowed to societally have without getting grief. Is that a sign that it's all on its head? It is. I mean, I've heard that, and, and frankly, especially in professional circles, I mean, these are people actually who can afford children. Mm -hmm. They make a lot of money. They don't want them. And this is, I'll tell you, I, I mean, just speaking amongst guys, God said, I don't know you. I think about that for myself a lot. You know, I go through the rhythms of the Catholic faith, but I am always questioning that in my soul. Do I know Christ? Like, really? And I think there's going to be a lot of surprises. <laughs> I just hope I'm in the line. And I mean it. And I say that with honesty. That is healthy. And it's what psychologists call cognitive dissonance. I talk about it in the book. Here's what it means. If you have two competing thoughts in your head, they appear to contradict each other. That creates distress, creates mental distress. Here's yours. On one hand, you know you're a child of God so that you're infinitely valuable, right, Joe? Sure. Nothing can change that. That's, that's ultimate self-esteem. The creator of the universe says that Joe is an infinitely valuable human being. On the other hand, you just said it. I'm a sinner. I fall short. I have doubts about my discipleship sometimes. And see, those two don't go together. On one hand, God says, you're infinitely valuable and I love you no matter what. On the other hand, you're saying, yeah, but I'm a sinner, I fall short, and in my human understanding, how can you love me no matter what? Because look how short I fall. Those two, they do create a lot of distress. I, I see a ton of people in my office who are faithful, but they're miserable because they don't trust that God loves them because they're not measuring up. The irony is, the great teaching of Christ is, keep walking toward me. Just keep walking. And all the times you fall, just get up and keep walking toward me because I will love you no matter what. See, we humans, we, we don't think like that. I know if somebody treated me the way I treat God, I'd have a hard time liking them. I really would. So it, it's, it creates dissonance and we, we got to get past it. You talk about judging in your book. I heard, uh, I, I watched an interview in preparing for this interview uh, with Mitch Pacwa, and you told a great story in it, and I'd like you to uh, speak to it uh, today uh, about a Bible study that you had in a prison. And you talked about once you got to know some of these guys, the idea of judgment changed for you. You talk a little bit about judging in the book. I could benefit from that because I look at people a certain way um, in my world, in my family, and I don't know what has gone, you know, brought them to this position. Talk about that because I think the world could benefit from that conversation. They've done studies in psychology that people making a diagnosis, the professional, makes it usually within about four minutes of the interview. And after that, 
whatever evidence comes in, if it fits their diagnosis, they absorb it. If it doesn't, they ignore it or reject it. People walk into my office, the first thing they tell me is they're presenting problem. And it's usually pretty ugly. I mean, some of these people have done some really bad stuff. All right, I feel like a detective sometimes that hears the real seamy underbelly of the human condition. And then we talk for one, two, three, four more sessions. And I see the picture start to become clearer. Wow, look what his, look what his parents did to him. Oh my gosh, I don't know if I could have weathered that. As the pieces come together and I get more of a glimpse into how this guy got to where he was, I think to myself, I think God's gonna judge him a lot easier than he judges me. When I was in the Bible study in prison, man, these guys had some stories. There ain't a one of them that had what I had. Good loving parents, chance for a solid education, supportive family, religious upbringing. They didn't have any of that. And I'm thinking to myself, where would I be? Would I be on the other side of that table? If I lived the life they lived and I said, God's got to take all that into account. You know, Jesus says something that really shakes you up. He, he looked at the religious leaders and he said, the tax collectors, the most hated people, and the prostitutes will get into heaven before you. Oh, how is that? The worst of the sinners getting into heaven before these righteous people? That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But obviously it's true because he's God. So that says something about the way God looks at souls. And I think we got to look at them the same way. Yeah. I agree. What and I'll tell you, okay, I mean, please. I, you know, in, in my own work uh, with the church, working with the missionaries of charity, um, they would love the unlovable, horrible people, quote unquote, did horrible things and they would get baptized and they would get baptized because they loved them. They didn't bend in terms of like when they would go to mass, they didn't let them receive communion because they weren't baptized, but they loved them and they changed. You see, I think if we look at the perspective that you just put forth, God loves us as we are. You know, if we hold the standard of God, you know, whatever standard that is, I got news for you. There's two people in heaven, Jesus and Mary, and no one else is getting in, you know, like, and I think sometimes, you know, that's something particularly in some corners of the church, you know, people have this holier than thou idea. Who are you? You know what I'm saying? Like we're all sinners here. Now, granted, that doesn't mean we change the, the dogma or the doctrine, but we got to love people. Got to love them. One of the most common referrals I now get, men, is an older parent whose child has left the faith, whose child is living a homosexual lifestyle, whose child is living with her boyfriend. And the parents are saying, I don't tolerate that. I don't condone that. That's not the way they were raised. And I think they need to know it. And there is no way I am welcoming her boyfriend into my house for supper. <laughs> And I said, well, then you're gonna lose your daughter. Well, yeah, but if I treat him right, they're gonna think I believe in that. No, 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 no. They know you don't condone that. They know that's not your moral system. For heaven's sakes, you raised him for 20 years. But you love him. I have a son with same-sex attraction. I love that boy up one side and down the other, and he knows it. He never ends a call without saying, I love you, dad, I love you, mom. How will we ever have a chance to show him more of the Catholic faith if we say, as long as you're going to do that, don't come around here. As long as you're going to do that, don't think we love you. It's got conditions on it. That's a real problem. It is a real problem. Loving does not mean you condone. Okay, that's the first thing. Second thing is this. Let's, let's, flip, let's flip this judgmental thing back around. People will say to me, I am the scapegoat of my family. Why is that? I'm too religious. They know I love the church. They know I believe in the church's teachings. 
and my family, they're either all secular or nominal in their faith, and they look at me like I'm the Neanderthal throwback weirdo. I say, what do they accuse you of? Oh, they accuse me of being judgmental. Do you ever say anything? No, I never say a word about how they live, about what they think. I don't. I deliberately shut my mouth. They say to me, why do they think I'm judgmental? And I'll say, it's because they know how you think. See, it is no longer that you're judgmental if you open your mouth. You're judgmental if you think a different way. And that's the catch that I think many of us in the Christian world are going to have to live with. We think we, I, I think that, 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 that's one of the biggest problems that I see. I'm saying from a personal point of view, Dr. Ray Rendy is joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe to discuss his recent book, Jesus, the Master Psychologist. That's one of the things I've noticed. I love my family, extended family and everything. What you just described is my life. And the thing is also, from a personal point of view, they had they come from a perspective of knowing me before I met my wife 10 years ago, okay? Which, let's just say I wasn't so Catholic in the way I lived my life. They liked you then, bit. Joe. They liked you All then. I was, you know, I always say, I'm, you know, this is not me judging them, but I always say, you know, it's nice when I'm, you know, drinking a lot of Johnny Walker Black and being kind of like the court jester and I make everybody laugh. As soon as I got serious about Jesus in the church, it's like, where's this coming from? Well, it's coming from that very dark place that I drove my life into, and the Lord reached down into that mud, probably wasn't mud, probably was something else that I was stuck in and pulled me out, okay? That action alone, Dr. Gorendi, okay, is enough for people to think that I'm judgmental, that I look at them, never realizing in my mind, no, I think, think, again, not pat myself on the back, I think I'm humble enough to know where people are. In other words, why they make decisions that they make. In other words, because I've made many of those same decisions that I get it, okay? But just saying, where are you going today? Going to mass. And then afterwards, going to breakfast. And then I'll talk to you later on. Or uh, I can't talk to you right now because I'm in the middle of my rosary. I'll give you a call back. And you can see the eye roll even though they're on the other end of the phone. It's a problem. I mean, it's a dilemma because we have to try to you know, we're caught in the middle somewhere. We don't want to be overly judgmental, but then just doing what we're supposed to do as Catholics is enough to get us judged. That's why I went on this little rant. Here's an antidote to that, Joe. As Christians, the one thing we really have to give our relatives and friends who look at us like we're weirdos, we have to be winsome. We have to be nice to be around. We have to be fun, we have to be joyful, we have to ask them a lot about themselves, show true interest in who they are, so that they say, you know, Joe, ever since he became religious, he's, he's, he's a lot nicer guy. He's a lot more easy to be around. He, he really seems to care about me and my kids and my life, and every time I get together with him, he just, he just focuses on me. I'll tell you what, I, you know, for whatever you say about that religion thing, he's, he's just, a, just a, a better fella. That's what we have to give. And unfortunately, sometimes we don't do that. We, we purse our lips and go, no, I got to be the nicest person they know in terms of appeal as a Christian. You're right. And I've said this on, on different shows. Um, why would you join a club of miserable people? If you're not Catholic and you're exploring safe faiths, why would you join a like a church and everyone's miserable? I wouldn't. If I'm going to join the Elks Club and people treat me like garbage or they don't talk to me or they look at my kids in the back who are making noise and, and give me a dirty look, I'm not going to go if I don't know, oh, this is the fullness of truth. Well, you're not showing it. I agree with you. You're right. We have to do a better job at that. And this is something I've said on other shows too. You're not arguing anyone into the church. That comes next. First, you got to have Joe, we're going to have, I we do want to give time for uh, Dr. Gurendi uh, to give some final thoughts. All right. We only have about a minute left, uh, Doc, and uh, where people could buy your book. You want to get a signed copy, you go to my website, drray.com. All 16 books are there. Uh, we have a special offer going on right now. You order three, you get one free. You order four, you get two free. So, and by the way, the, uh, Jesus, the master psychologist, is a million seller. 
there are a million in my cellar. So, nice. Uh, <laughs> but, but it's drray.com or the Facebook page, and you can get the book. Okay. And also, they uh, and folks could also buy the book on Sophia Institute Press, I would yeah. imagine. Yes. All right. Uh, so we want to thank you, Dr. Gurendi. Uh, Joe and I, you know, we've seen you a lot over the years on obviously on EWTN and everything else. So we're very, we're very honored that you, you came and joined us to talk about your book. And hopefully we can have you have you back on and, you know, mix it up a little bit more. But we want to thank you for uh, for the conversation. We really appreciate it. And you're Italian, so we love you. Hey, me, you, hey, yo, Adrian. <laughs> you guys hopefully will be in that New York City area soon. All right. And uh, we want to thank you all for joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York metropolitan area, 1350 on your AM dial. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content. And remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.